This is Characteristics of Evangelistic Ministries. My name is Wes Waddell. Standing to my right is uh, Marvin Croson. Marvin uh, actually was not able to make it. Uh, he had a friend pass away out of state, and they asked him to come do the funeral. So uh, this is not Marvin Croson standing beside me. This is our stand-in, uh, Mr. Kerry Cox. Kerry, you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So uh, I've been doing campus ministry since January of 1996. And so uh, it's just been 20 years now. And uh, something I love to death, uh, moved in 2004 on a church plant to start a new church, a new campus ministry. And uh, we've been doing that at, just outside of St. Louis for the past 12 years or so. And uh, it's been a cool thing, both uh, the ministries that I've gotten to be a part of. I was very fortunate to be a part of very a very good church. We There were churches we planted, so there wasn't a lot of baggage maybe and things like that we had to deal with. We were like, here we go. And we, we went with... Uh, in Illinois, we started with about five students, and when we left, we were, had about 70 or so students. And then over at the crossings, we started with three or four students on campus, and now on Sunday mornings, we're having about 125 students, and they're driving 26 miles to church. So uh, it's pretty cool. It says something about their hearts and their commitment and uh, and their purpose. And uh, I just love doing college ministry. It's, uh, it's pretty much all I know, I guess, in a sense, uh, when it comes to working in ministry. Yeah, and Carrie's great. I've known him uh, for about 10 years now. Um, I grew up going to church. Um, I'm Jim and Geraldine Waddell's son. Uh, they're youngest. Some of you guys know them. Um, I told you if you were in my session yesterday that I was also sexually abused growing up. Uh, and so even though I was uh, in church all of my life, I had some major issues. And as a teenager, fell away from faith, fell away from the church, got into a lot of drugs and addiction and bad things, and then ended up coming back to Christ uh, in my early 20s as a result of an evangelistic campus ministry led by Lynn and Carol Stringfellow, who are also here somewhere today. Um, when I was 23 years of age, I came to faith. And what struck me is uh, after coming to faith, I went and interned with them in Tampa for a year. I learned during my time in that campus ministry that there weren't a whole lot of other campus ministries in the churches of Christ. Uh, we thought at the time there were around 200. Uh, this was um, 2001. No, no, no. It was more like 2003, 2004. Um, somewhere around 200 was kind of the popular idea. What we found later, though, uh, when we actually examined that, is there were way less campus ministries in Churches of Christ than we thought. Uh, and we also found that... Um, not very many of them were actually evangelistic. At least that was what we suspected, uh, is there weren't a whole lot of evangelistic campus ministries that were actually reaching people. And I remember, um, I think it was in 2005, was that the National Campus Ministry Seminar where you and your dad spoke in Norman, Oklahoma? Um, I see an OU hat out here. I don't know if you, that guy would know. Um, but uh, there was a National Campus Ministry Seminar either in 05 or 06 where they had this uh, banner up on the wall that had little dots all over the U.S. of where we knew we had campus ministries. And then all these other dots of a different color where there were campuses that didn't have a campus ministry. And I remember uh, that image striking me because I had been reached through campus ministry. My friends had been reached through campus ministry. My wife had been reached through campus ministry. We were like, if that campus ministry hadn't been in Tampa that was intentional about reaching out to people and studying the Bible with people and baptizing people, that ministry hadn't existed. Would I even be sitting here Christian today. And how many kids are we missing because we don't have campus ministries out there reaching people? Look, look at all these dots. You know, it's just 
this swirl of kind of emotion and concern. And so I got together with uh, Lynn Stringfellow, and we put our heads together with this guy named Marvin Croson, who worked at Harding and a few other people. And that's really what kind of spawned Campus Ministry United. Um, and one of the things we did in those early days is we decided we wanted to get a handle on how many ministries we actually had uh, and also what was really going on with them. And so the information that I'm going to share with you today is born out of uh, a series of biannual studies that some concerned guys interested in campus ministry conducted over the course of about six years. Uh, and I've got a slide that I want to share with you. Um, this is uh, from 07 and 08. We actually surveyed 74 campus ministries. And by the way, we found total, we have maybe 120 to 135 campus ministries in Church of Christ, nowhere near 200. Um, and out of the 74 that we surveyed in 07 and 08, what we found is there were just a few uh, that were actually baptizing a good number of students, at least in that year. Now, um, that bar right here on the end uh, where it says zero, where it says blue zone, two or less, Nearly 35% of the ministries we surveyed in 07 and 08 hadn't baptized a single kid uh, in that year. Most of them, if you include those that baptizes, baptized two or less students, that's where most of the ministries fell. So most of the campus ministries in 07 and 08 had baptized two or less students the previous year. There were just a few, I think nine out of the 74 that had baptized what, 12 or more. Now, some of them had baptized quite a bit more than that, um, but we termed those red zone ministries and those down here at the other end, we termed blue zone ministries. And so part of what we're going to do today is look at the findings we got from really diving in deep and studying these guys that fell in the red zone. Uh, and so we'll kind of talk about this as we go along. By the way, uh, Flavel Yakely verified my numbers on this. Um, we were doing a study kind of blind one another. He was doing uh, his own study at the same time I, we were doing ours, and he verified our numbers and found that, you know, we, we were right tracking with each other. So this is accurate. This is scientific. This isn't just something we're pulling out of a hat. Um, what we found is that these guys in the red zone shared some common characteristics. The guys leading the ministries that were reaching a good number of people shared some common characteristics. And we're not going to have time probably to get through everything that we found just in one session today. Um, and so we're going to try to get through as much of it as we can. And uh, I'm glad Carrie's here because he has a different perspective, I'm sure, on some of this stuff than I would by myself. Uh, but Carrie, would you say it's safe to say that we've never encountered a ministry that's reaching people that didn't have an identifiable leader of some kind? No, I definitely think there's there's some, you know, when you look at the ministries that are reaching people, they have someone who's leading the charge, uh, someone who's out there uh, making the call and saying, hey, let's do this as a group. There's a motivator. There's a, you know, someone who's out out in front. Okay. Um yeah, and that's that's kind of a maybe a duh for most of the people in the room. But guys, honestly, we have so many people that come to us from churches that they want to do something with college students, uh, but they don't have a champion in their congregation that can kind of lead the charge in that area. And so that's something that I think just gets overlooked. Guys, if you are here 
and you have a church and you are near a college campus or you near a, co- a community of college students or college age people, if you want to reach them, number one, you need a leader. You need somebody who's going to lead the charge in that. Um, and really, the difference between these guys in the red zone and these guys in the blue zone, most of the differences that I found between them and the results they were getting was the leadership and the leadership style and kind of the passion and emphasis. Um, and what I identified are seven characteristics of evangelistic leaders. Uh-huh. One thing before we, before we move into that, I think one of the things really important things to remember is leadership is influence. And leadership is not a position that we give someone. Uh, you know, we hire people to come in and lead in our churches all the time. And it's almost like we expect the congregation to follow that person because they've been given a title. And I think with what, what, one of the things I realize with what Wes is talking about here is if you're going to have an evangelistically effective campus minister, campus ministry, you need an evangelistically effective campus minister or someone who is going to be there who says, this is, I have a heart. I have a passion for reaching students that the students that you're asking them to follow can watch this man. They can watch this person go onto campus and they are going to be people who have a heart for reaching lost people. Because if you don't have that, they are not going to influence your students. They can sit in their office at the church building all day long and say, go reach people, go reach people, go reach people, go reach people. And it's never going to happen. So it's very important for us to remember leadership is about influence. If you're not influencing people, you're not leading people. And so these characteristics that Wes is getting ready to go, to go down through, if you're, if you're your person, your point person for your college ministry isn't displaying these, that's something you're going to want to address because their students aren't going to just magically do it. They're not going to just do it on their own. They need someone who is going to influence them. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, let's go ahead and, and jump into these characteristics. And uh, some of this, we'll just kind of bat these around. Does that sound good? Um, the first one that I identified is... Uh, these guys that are really reaching a lot of students and doing it consistently embrace disciple making as their purpose. They really see that as the purpose of their ministry. And I think a lot of people would say that's their purpose, but when you get down to brass tacks of how they evaluate their effectiveness, the questions they're asking may be a little bit different than what they should be if disciple making is really their purpose. Let me just throw this out. How does the average minister judge whether their ministry is being effective or not? Any ideas? If you ask a preacher, how's your church doing? What's the number one answer they normally throw back at you to determine? Attendance. Exactly. How many people are showing up? How many students do you have showing up? That is normally how a campus minister would tell you how their ministry is doing. What I found is that these guys who are really focused on disciple-making ask different questions in terms of evaluating their effectiveness, and they use the Great Commission as the filter through which they determine whether they're being successful or not. What is the Great Commission? Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
if that's what you're shooting for, if that is your focus, what kinds of questions are you going to ask to determine whether you're being successful or not? Well, number one, are we going? How's our outreach doing? How many new contacts are we making? How many new people are being exposed and uh, being relationally connected to the disciples in our ministry? How many baptisms have we had? How many Bible studies do we have going on? Of those we have baptized who have been around a little bit, how are they maturing? How are they getting over their deep issues? How is this person doing with their pride? How is this person doing with their insecurity? How is this person doing uh, getting past these issues related to the abuse that occurred to them? Or whatever it may be. The questions are a lot different. The grid through which you evaluate your success is a lot different when you do it that way. Gary, what do you have to think, say about that? Uh, I think one thing that we can address real quickly is I think we all understand, especially those of us who have been around for a while, disciple and disciple-making, words like this have become a dirty word in our brotherhood in a sense, right? We have a history with that. But the problem with that becoming a dirty word is it's a biblical word. And it's it's what you see Jesus doing. And so, you know, we kind of have to throw it out the window and say, okay, let's not judge this based upon what what may or may not have happened in some of our in our brother's history. But let's look and say what is disciple making in the word of God and how what did it look like when you look at Jesus's ministry? What did him making disciples? What did it look like as he trained the apostles? What did it look like when he was helping people transform their lives? And when you start looking at the transformation of lives and a student endeavoring to become more like their teacher is what a disciple is, then you start looking at it and saying, okay, are we being effective at helping students become more like Jesus? And when you start looking at this that way, like Wes said, your answer becomes very different when you're asked if you're effective. If your goal is to help students become like Jesus, that's how you have to answer whether or not you're being effective or not. Well, what does that look like? Jesus, he obviously had the fruit of the spirit. He had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, you go, we know the songs, you could sing them. You know, they, do they have the fruits of the spirit? Do, are they bearing fruit? And you start looking at these things and we're saying, man, am I really effectively doing this? Am I helping them become more like Jesus? Are they having an impact on the world around them? Are they growing? And when you have to answer that question, the answer to how effective your ministry is, is going becomes a lot less fun if we have to answer that honestly. And so uh, I think Wes is exactly right. If that's not our intent and our purpose, we're really missing out on what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, that's something that is just fundamentally missed in, with a lot of the guys that I talk to. Uh, they do not evaluate through this Great Commission grid. And honestly, that is something that I see as common, though, among the guys that really are reaching students and doing it consistently. That is a common characteristic. Uh, the second thing is uh, leaders of these ministries who are reaching a lot of students and doing it consistently were practically trained to make disciples. They were practically trained in evangelism. Brian, could you go back to that uh, bar graph one more time? And this was striking to me. Um, I went back and looked, and of the nine guys that were in that red zone down there, uh, only three of them had theological bachelor's degrees. One of them had a theological master's degree. But if you go down to this other end in the blue zone, guess where the highest concentration of theological master's degrees was found on this grid? In that first bar graph that where they weren't reaching anybody. 
the highest concentration of the- theological degrees, period. It was greatly weighted. Like, it, this was so odd. I did this when I was in Bible college. Um, and so it wasn't very encouraging to me for all the money that I was spending. And by the way, I've, I've got a bachelor's in Bible and a master's in theology. Uh, I went to Harding University at Fuller Seminary. And so I'm not down on theological education. I'm just saying, um, based on this study, the more theological education you had, the less likely it was you were reaching people. The less theological education you had, the more likely it was you were reaching people. And I showed this to Flavel Yakely, and he looked at me, and he smiled real big, <laughs> which he didn't do a whole lot. Uh, so I don't know, man. It, it, this just blew me away. But uh, that caused me to dig in and, and say, you know, it, it can't be wrong to go study your Bible for a few years. Like, if you're going to give your life to ministry, uh, surely studying your Bible and knowing the scriptures is a good thing, right? I mean, would we agree with that? Um, but what I found was different about these guys in this red zone is that they had not just done that. They had also had some intensive training on the ground, working with people under the oversight of a mentor in an evangelistic situation. And the, that was, that was the primary difference. Cause like I said, some of these guys did have Bible degrees in the red zone, but in addition to their Bible degree, they had hands-on practical training on the ground, working with people in evangelistic ministry. These guys in the blue zone, some of them had practical training, but guess what kinds of ministries they trained within? Ministries that traditionally were not evangelistic or that were trying to be but were not being effective at it. Red zone ministers were trained within another red zone ministry before taking over their own. Blue zone ministers, if they had had practical training at all, were trained in a blue zone ministry before going and taking over their own. I don't think this should come as a surprise to any of us. In a sense, I understand, like, we're like, whoa, that's weird that that these people are trained. But we've seen this happen before, right? How many of you worked a job before where some guy graduated from college with his master's in business, and they hired this guy, and they put him in a position of leadership, and the guys who have been working at the job for 25 years are like, this guy's a moron. He doesn't know what he's doing. And, and, they, and, and they're frustrated because he's coming in with an education trying to tell them how to do their job having never done it. Right. We see that happens in businesses all the time. So it shouldn't surprise us that, uh, this happens when it comes to ministry. Whenever we have people who have that all head knowledge is, is a great thing to have if you know how to apply it and you can, you can actually put it to work for you. But you know, as we also know, the Bible tells us, you know, knowledge puffs up, right? And sometimes we can get so in our heads that we forget the practical application of things. So whenever we go to do a ministry, you hit the ground and you're like, I know all this stuff, but I have no idea what it really means to be relational, to be intimate with someone, to share my hurts, to share. And and, and this isn't to slam Wes, but when Wes came to St. Louis, one of the biggest knocks on Wes, and one of the things we've really had to work through with Wes is to get Wes out of his head and to realize he is going to be much more effective relationally 
if if he will get past some of those things and realize these are the things that he has to work on the, on the ground. These are the things that he has to change about his character, about his likability, about his pride, about his insecurity, about his motives. And this is what he's going to have to do to connect. And Wes gave the best lesson that my kids, my campus kids have ever heard Wes this weekend because Wes has learned that ministry is not about his degree. It's about change and he's gotten real with it with his life and he's went through wounded heart and he started dealing with the hurt from his abuse and now he's communicating that and he's connecting on a personal level that allows him to be effective at reaching people his degree it wasn't doing that for him and and it's great that he has it and it's good to have someone at your church who has a lot of knowledge but until he can put it to use it's a waste yeah and that's uh that's the thing with bible college and the reason i even uh bring this up guys is because for churches, that's normally the first thing they want to see is what what kind of degree and education does this guy have before you even consider working with him. That's sort of like the the guild card. Uh, you want to be a member of the guild before you can uh, have the rite of passage. Uh, and I think our questions are all wrong. Uh, if you're wanting to have somebody that can do evangelistic ministry, more than the Bible degree, they need to have at least some kind of training or practical experience where they've proven that they can do this kind of thing beyond just talking people into getting baptized. I'm talking about developing people. And that's something that, honestly, I have struggled with. Uh, and I think I spent eight years in Bible college between Harding and Fuller. Um, I had my head filled with all kinds of knowledge. I, I have uh, countless books that I've read, all kinds of things that I've studied. But, guys, I, I never did develop the skills in connecting with people. And if you're going to work with people and help people develop and grow spiritually mature, you kind of need to be able to do that. Uh, you need to be able to practically communicate love. You need to not so much be able to impress people with your knowledge or your command of the language or your command of whatever. You need to get close enough to them so that you can make an impact on them. And that's that's an area that I've just been horribly weak in. It's, it's like the old saying, you know, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, and that's a very it's a famous statement, but it's it rings very, very true when it comes to ministry. Yeah. You can spout off scripture and quote authors all day long, and college students, students are going to look at you like, I don't really care what you're having to say right now. That, yeah. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for relational connection. They're looking to be loved. And especially in a generation that has grown up with, to be honest, with really screwed up families. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they don't feel like they're worth anything. They don't feel like they're cared for. They felt, they feel like they've been pushed to the side. They are longing for connection. Mm-hmm. A degree is not going to give you connection. When, whenever, whenever we started doing for campus ministry until six years ago, I didn't have seven years ago, I didn't have a degree in, in, uh, ministry at all. And the only reason I went at Lindenwood University, they had a Christian ministry studies degree. And I went in there and That's I That's not a real Bible degree though. Yeah, exactly. Come on. And, and, and the thing was, is you know why I got that piece of paper? Because I live in an affluent area. And people would ask me, where did you go to school? And in that area, that's something that's well respected. But do you know for me, when I got that piece of paper, you know what I did with it? I was like, there it goes. Your chaplain doesn't even believe Jesus rose from the dead. Come on. Pretty much. Uh, so, you know, it, I, I could care less about that degree. I knocked heads with those guys all day long and didn't care. And I would argue with them about doctrine and all kinds of things, but I didn't care because I, I wasn't getting that degree so that I would be able to do ministry. I was getting that degree so that I could say, yep, got a degree. Now let's get that out of the way and let's get to ministry. Let's get to real, real conversation about what relationship with God is like. Didn't care about that stupid piece of paper, but I know that sometimes other people do. 
You know, they're, they're looking, they're looking for you to validate that you're able to do what you say you're able to do. Fine. They can look at that piece of paper. They can see it, whatever. Now that's out of the way. Let's get real about ministry. Yeah. And there's three things that I think you won't learn in Bible college that I think are just overlooked when it comes to hiring or starting ministries. Number one is, uh, they will not help you work on your character, like on a personal level. Um, it is very odd for a professor to sit down with a student, even in a Bible college situation, and just have a straight talk with them about their develop pers- development personally. That never happened for me, even though uh, my character flaws were readily apparent, I think, to everybody around me when I was in Bible college. They just didn't sit down, with the exception of Marvin Croson, who wasn't as direct as he should have been. Um, they never really sat down and just had a straight talk with me. Uh, number two... Um, they don't teach you to connect with people. Uh, we've already kind of talked about that, but that is not a skill that you pick up in a classroom. That is a skill you pick up in a church working with people, uh, preferably for all of this under the oversight of a more experienced and seasoned mentor who is an evangelist themselves who can help you through these things. And number three, this is a huge complaint of mine, uh, Bible colleges do not teach students to study the Bible evangelistically with anybody. If I told you how many people with MDivs have come to me over the years who have spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars getting Bible degrees, come to me, ask, how do I sit down and open up the Bible with somebody and study it with them evangelistically? It would make you throw up. It is ridiculous that you can go and learn Greek and Hebrew and all kinds of technical stuff about the Bible, but not something as simple as how to sit down and open up the scriptures and lead someone to Jesus. That seems so basic, but that's the kind of stuff you'll miss in Bible college. But all of those things, which are so essential to evangelistic ministry and helping people develop spiritually are something you will learn in a healthy church. And that's the difference between these red zone guys and these blue zone guys is a big part of the red zoners training came in a situation like that where those elements were not missing and it showed in their work over time. Um, let's move on to point number three. The third characteristic uh, that is common among these guys is they create a disciple making culture. They create a disciple-making culture. Um, culture it, are simply the beliefs and values that sort of drive the behavior of a group. Um, for a group culture that is evangelistic, it's very easy for evangelism to become contagious among them. Have you ever heard the phrase evangelism is caught, not taught? You know what that means? Like if you come into a ministry and everybody around you is really concerned about reaching the lost, what's naturally going to happen to you over time as you stay in that ministry? You're going to catch this vision of what it means to reach the lost. You're going to come in and get over maybe yourself and start looking out at how you can impact a lost world. Uh, and it really is contagious. Um, the primary way a leader affects uh, that culture, like Carrie said earlier, leadership is what? Influence. If you as a leader have influence among the people in your ministry, if they love and respect you enough for you to influence them, the primary way you're going to affect the culture of your group is through your own example, 
because by your own actions, you're going to show, here's what I value, here's what I'm all about, and also your own, the, the communication. So exemplification and communication. Um, Carrie, how do you instill disciple-making values in the kids in your ministry through your example and communication? Can you give us some, some practical examples of that? I think by doing it with them, I guess, is a, is a simple answer. Uh, you know, whenever we started, like I said, when we started the campus ministry on the church plant, there was like four students. And so I was, at that time, I got a lot more personal time with each student, which was really nice. But over the years, we had to develop, as it grew, we had to develop other leaders. And so, you know, getting that one-on-one time where I get to sit down across from them and we get to talk about what's going on in their lives. We get to talk about, uh, you know, what they're doing and, and we have a very close connection. And so, you know, training them, discipling them, teaching them what it means to be like Jesus. Um, and, and then, you know, when they go out with you and they see that, you know, they go to restaurants with you that you go to repeatedly and they're like, how do you know all these waiters and waitresses? Why does your family know all these waiters and waitresses at these places? Well, we know it because we come here intentionally because we come to this restaurant over and over again to get to know this waiter or this waitress because we want to reach them for God. And they get to see you invite those people and they get to see you go through the lines at Walgreens and Target and they go shopping with you and they follow you around and they, and they get to see you interacting with people there and talking to people. They get to see you on campus meeting students and saying, Hey, what's going on? You know, just by showing it to them and, and developing them on a personal level individually. What are you really excited about when it (laughs) comes to like just the time with your students? What do you find yourself that you're so excited that you, you end up, it just kind of comes out of you? I don't know. If you know me, I, t- I can be excited about anything you put in front of me pretty much. <laughs> like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I have a, a tendency to be excited about anything and everything, but, uh, I don't know. I think just seeing the, the thing that excites me is seeing their lives change and, and offering them and letting them see that God is offering them the chance to break the cycles because the world is so messed up and these students, they come through from so much stuff, just watching them overcome the obstacles, watching them learn, uh, things that they're, as they become more like Jesus, knowing that, man, someday their kids aren't going to deal with the same junk they dealt with. Someday their kids are going to have a father who sticks around, who loves them, who takes care of them. And, and knowing that you're helping to build those characteristics of Jesus in their life, that's an exciting thing because you know, you know where it, where it's going to lead. And, and I think the dreaming for the future is what's exciting about it. Right. Um, and so that affects the way you interact with them. And what I found from observing, uh, Carrie and other guys like them, which by the way, uh, our red zone ministries, I did not mention earlier. Um, most of the guys out of that nine that fell in our red zone are our CMU board members. Um, and one of the guys that is leading the pack in terms of, uh, consistently reaching a large number of students every year is this guy to my right. Uh, which is why I'm asking him some of these questions because for us, he's been a good example and a good resource for us to turn to. Um, and also what wasn't reflected on that slide earlier is I've studied these ministries that were reflected on that slide over a number of years. And so I've got in my head like this consistency. Um, and so, uh, I've learned a lot just from watching Carrie, though, because he does exemplify uh, that passion for the lost. He also has an equal emphasis on passion for seeing people develop and grow into mature disciples, like what I was, uh, what what he was referring to a second ago. 
Um, and so this creating this culture, though, it, it kind of leads into number four, too, which is leading by example. And we've already kind of touched on that. Uh, but there's just three key areas. Like if you wanted to sit down and say, am I doing these things when it comes to leading by example? Uh, loving God, loving uh, one another, and loving the lost is something we need to be concerned about, being an example in. Um, also leading out of strength, number two. And then leading out of weakness, number three. Uh, I think you guys probably already kind of understand loving God, loving one another, and loving the lost. Actually, you may not get loving one another. Do you want to kind of explain loving God, loving one another, and loving the lost, what we mean when we say that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a general sense and we understand those things, right? You're supposed to love God. It's, you know, this is the greatest commandment. You love God. I think we have a good grasp on what that, that looks like, but sometimes I don't know that we let it affect us in the last two areas the way that we should in loving each other and loving the lost. When you look at most of our churches, you, yeah, sure. People would say, do you love your church family? Who is going to sit in this room and say, no, no, not really. I can't stand them. You know, nobody's going to do that. We're, I think most people in here would go, yeah, I love my church family. Oh, really? Well, how does that love show up? And you started examining what love looks like in a relation, in a, in a relationship. We often do not have those kind of connections with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When I, like I think about my relationship with my little sister. Like when my sister, there are lots of things. I love her. I want to encourage her. I like spending time around her. I am also her protector. I am also the person who says, that's a really dumb decision. Stop acting that way. Knock it off. I look out for her. I challenge her. I want her to be more. I call her higher. I, you know, all these things that you do when you're in a relationship with someone you really love, that's what we should be seeing taking place in our relationships with one another. You look at the way the first century church taught and, and uh, interacted with one another, uh, selling all their positions, uh, possessions, giving to anyone who was in need. You look at the way that even you look at Paul and you look at, uh, you know, the way he challenged the, the people he was in relationship with. You read you read the books to the Corinthians and you're like, man, that dude is harsh. And and rarely do we have any of those interactions in our church. Generally speaking, in our churches, when it comes to loving one another, what that means is we smile at each other at potlucks and on Sunday mornings. And, and we, and sure, if something really bad happened, then we would pray for him and we would try to help, but there's not a connection on a consistent basis. And, and I don't think we're ever going to be effective at changing the world if that's what our churches look like. Because, it, but when we do that, then I think that also helps us to understand love for the lost even more because we look and we're like, man, it's so great being a part of God's family and not being in God's family is rough. And I, I love these people in the world so much. I want them to experience what being a part of the kingdom of God is like because I see the benefits in my life and in my church family's life. And it, and it all pulls together, loving God, loving each other and loving the world. It really pulls together. And, and I really think we have a, a lack of grasp on what that really looks like. I don't know if it's that we've forgotten it or that maybe some of us have just have never experienced it. But when, if we could honestly look at the book of Acts and then honestly evaluate our churches, I think we'd be really disappointed in ourselves. You've also got to lead out of your strengths as a leader if you're going to be a good example. Uh, this comes very naturally. Uh, because all of us like being seen as strong. That's just this natural inclination. So if I'm, if I'm really good at teaching, if I'm really good at serving or whatever it may be, uh, if God has wired me in such a way, uh, to be good at something, 
I'm going to want to share that. Where we really struggle is the third thing, which is leading out of weakness. Uh, at least that's where I really struggle. Let me put it, put it back on me. Uh, this is something that I've had to work on in my life because where I, uh, you know, kind of my deepest fear has been a fear of rejection. A lot of this goes back to growing up being sexually abused. Um, but uh, I've got this deep-seated insecurity where I feel like I've always got to be seen as strong in everything, which makes me come across as an arrogant know-it-all. And any of you who have known me for any period of time, you have seen that side of me. Uh, in fact, I have a reputation uh, in, in ministry um, where people think I'm an arrogant know-it-all, mainly because I've yeah, I'm an arrogant know-it-all. Um, so it kind of goes hand in hand. But that's something I'm working on. And so I get up in front of my people. And, you know, some of the people from my small group are here. They'll they'll tell you when I'm sitting in small group, I'm talking about these weaknesses I have. I'm talking about these fears that I have. I'm confessing my sins. I've struggled with pornography for years since I was a little guy. I've got all my devices locked up where I'd Locked them up and threw away the key. I don't even, I can't even unlock them to look at this stuff, but I still struggle with this garbage. I struggle with, uh, impure thoughts. I struggle with all kinds of stuff. And so I've got to be open. And guys, that's scary to me. That is absolutely terrifying. But I've learned if I don't do that, none of the people that I'm leading are going to do that either. And they're not going to be the people that God is calling them to be because I'm not showing them how to work through weakness, which is confession and repentance and repeating that. And he's learned that. Yes. He's learned that. Like, I, I really do. When Wes came, uh, there was not a lot of respect initially for Wes, Wes when he came to St. Louis. Uh, a lot of the people in our church, our students, they looked at Wes and, and looked at Wes like he's saying he was an arrogant know-it-all. And our students are like, this dude's going to come tell us what to do. He's coming off of a failed ministry plant because he didn't listen and shouldn't have went where he went in the first place. And so they were like, so then he's going to come here and act like he knows what he's doing. And they're like, they didn't want to have it. They weren't having it at all. But I've seen Wes grow in respect because I've seen Wes be able to be vulnerable. But he learned that from watching people who do that in ministry. He's learned that from watching people like my dad and people like Janice and people like that who are able to get up there and say, this is all my junk and they lay it bare and they're like, and this is how it affects me and this is how I'm messed up and this is where I mistreat people and this is where, and 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 he sees them using that for ministry and then you look at the Bible and you see the, the apostles doing the same thing and you talk, see Paul talking about using his weakness and, and then all of a sudden you step back and you're like, oh man, that's how you have effective ministry. You yeah. make yourself vulnerable and allow people to see what's really going on inside of you. And Wes has been learning that. And the more that Wes has learned that, the more respect I have heard more this weekend from people in my campus ministry going, man, Wes is changing. I, he's being very humble. He's being very honest about where he's at. And, and you can just see, boop, 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 you know, his respect level growing because he's, he's learning how to do that. He's learning how to lead out of weakness. And it's, it's a really cool thing to see. Well, thank you. Uh, that makes me very arrogant. Um, he still has a long way to go. <laughs> um, but, but seriously, you're not going to develop people if you, God does not expect us to be perfect. And this is something that I've had to struggle through. Uh, and I'm, I'm still learning about. Um, but if we can't just be, we use that phrase, but ugly honest, nobody else is going to be that way either. And so we've got to learn to do that with one another. Um, Number five, effective leaders have high standards and regularly evaluate their ministry. This is another common characteristic we see uh, with these red zoners. Now, how do we do that at our church, Carrie? Uh, so in our campus ministry, we have now, we, we have uh, 
five or six, I don't know if any of my campus leaders, any of my cell leaders in here, Mister, we have five or six groups. Six, right? Six. We have six small groups, and those small groups are led by people who have been raised up through our ministry. Uh, there are people who have been, who have, who have grown, and the people in our ministry respect them, and there's a male and a female leader in every group. The males help the males grow, the females work with the females, and they help them, they help them learn, grow, develop. But every week, we have a meeting we call our zone meeting. We have, we, kind of break our church up into zones. There's the college zone, high school zone, and that has junior high in it. And the adult zone, there's three adult zones. And we get down, we get down to it whenever we sit down. We evaluate, we meet weekly. Our uh, zone does for our college ministry on Sunday nights. We meet at our house at, at eight o'clock, and sometimes we're there till two in the morning. And we're t- we're working the campus ministry. We're working on developing. I know that's probably the next point, but we work on these things. But we sit down and we evaluate what's going on in our campus ministry. Hey, where are we at? How are people doing? Doing? Is your group growing? Why not? Why are your guys not developing? Why are they not growing deeper in their word? Are you leading them the way they need to? Are you getting in and are you studying? Are you developing yourself so that you have the wisdom to be able to guide these guys? And we sit there and we talk about things we talk about problems we confront one another we challenge each other we talk about man well how did cross chat go last week did we have guests who came you know how how did it go are they are they connecting is there anybody really trying to get involved in their life and connecting with them on a personal level like we sit there in that meeting every single week and we evaluate what's going on in our ministry and sometimes it's an extremely encouraging thing and we're like man this is so cool god's doing some great things and other times we have to be honest enough to say you know what i've been failing and I haven't been the man that I need to be. Our, the, the ladies in our ministry were challenged the men on their time in the word a few, I don't know, what, a month ago, Mitch? Two months ago now? Two months ago. And they were like, it's really hard for us to have some respect for you guys whenever you know you're not feeding yourself. And my guys have totally turned a corner on that. And it's now that is funneling down to the, the rest of the men in our ministry and it's helping our ministry grow because we had to evaluate where we stood. We do it on a personal level, on a small group level, and as a ministry on where we're at. We do the same thing with our church and our core meeting every other week. Which that's, that's so weird, uh, the way things are done at the crossings in terms of just the intensity of the evaluation. Uh, but I think our results show there's something to this. For those that don't know about our church, one of the reasons that I came to St. Louis is because I saw something different there. Uh, and I had watched Carrie and Robert, and there's a lot of people that you don't know that uh, work with them behind the scenes. I think a lot of times you guys get all the credit, but honestly, there's a team of people. Um, it's it, Robert is not the Pope at the crossings. There's there's actually a team of people around him that have equal say in, in what's done. Our ministry um, would fall. Our ministry would fail without my other small group, without my leaders, yeah, without and, my team. It would not. It would not succeed. We are a cult, but our cult leader is Jesus, so it's okay. Um, it's all good. But, uh, guys, I don't know, and I'm, I'm not trying to toot our horn. I don't, I don't even like saying this a whole lot because I'm afraid it, it jinxes us. Uh, but Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird, uh, did a study a few years ago. It was the most comprehensive study on church planning ever done in the United States. And they found that only 1% of the churches in the United States were growing primarily through reaching the unchurched. Our church at the crossings is among that 1%. And we may be the only ones in the churches of Christ. Uh, that are growing primarily through reaching unchurched people. The majority of people that we're raising up to leaders are first-generation Christians. In 2014, we sent a church plant out to the St. Louis area. I want to say only two people on that team had any sort of uh, church history before that. Ben and 
27 of them had come to Christ uh, out of that a uh, little over 30 came to Christ through the campus ministry and then developed to such a point where they they were able to be foundational people on a brand new church that was sent out. Guys, I don't know of anybody else doing work like this. Okay. I uh, say something with what you're saying, though. Well, I, I just okay. want to let me make the point. Um, I, I'm saying that because I think a big part of why that's happening is because of the intensity of the evaluation of our mission on a consistent and ongoing basis. How are we doing? How did this event go? What could we have done better? How is this person developing? How are you handling the situation? Guys, we put a lot of time in behind the scenes on this. Um, and that's a major difference that I see between this congregation and others. And I also see a difference between just ministries in general that are reaching people and others. It's this emphasis on evaluation. Make your point, sir. <laughs> All right. So, you know, when you're talking about your ministry, it's easy to get excited about it. And obviously when you're talking about evangelistically effective ministries and you look at your ministry and you're reaching people, you want, you put your best foot forward because that's what you have. And I think it is important for everyone here to understand we're our own harshest critics. We have all kinds of flaws, all kinds of weaknesses, and being a part of a church that is reaching the unchurched and it tends to be an extremely young congregation comes with its own inherent flaws and its own problems, and we have weaknesses and issues that are different from other churches. And sometimes it's easy to be like, yeah, and our, I like our issues better because we don't have some of the baggage, but, but in all honesty, we have problems and issues. We tend to be a very shallow we have a very shallow church at this point in time. And part of the reason for that is that they're unchurched, but we, that's something we've got to develop as leaders. We have to be more intentional and we're very hard on ourselves. So when you hear these good things, like with Wes is saying these things, I want you to understand that there are good things that happen at the crossings and maybe rare things sometimes that happen at the crossings. But we understand we have our junk. And we're very, very straight about that with ourselves. And I want you to understand that as well because I don't ever want anyone to get the impression that we have all of our, that we think we have all of our junk together. Oh, yeah. Because and we don't. <laughs> absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, we're the most biblically illiterate church I've ever been a part of. Uh, I'm just being straight. And I've, I've talked with Carrie about this. Like, but that's what happens when you have a church full of relatively new Christians. They didn't grow up hearing Bible stories their whole life. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more we could say about our shallowness and, you know, stuff we need to work on. Um, and I think those of us that go to, go to church at the crossings know that stuff. Uh, but we are working on it. Um, absolutely. We're not going to have time to get through all of this stuff. Um, let me just run through. We need to intentionally develop other leaders. Uh, I really want to stop on the last one though, because I think of all the points on this, this is the most important one. Um, and this is the one that, uh, that I've struggled with the most. These guys that are leading these great ministries have a genuine love for their people. What do you have to say about that, Kerry Cox? Um, I see people on a consistent basis in my leadership group, in my campus ministry, and in my church weep over the people in their groups, weep over the people they're studying the Bible with, just brought to tears when someone decides they don't want a relationship with God, and their hearts are engaged. And I really believe that why we can be an effect, why we can be effective at reaching people in spite of some of those weaknesses we just talked about is because our people deeply love God. They deeply love each other and they deeply love the lost. And I believe that whenever you get those things right, isn't that what the word says? When you get those things right, the other things tend to fall in line. 
And our people, because they love God, they're going to grow in their biblical depth and knowledge and their wisdom. They're going to grow in that because they love God. That problem is going to take care of itself because of a love for God. Their love for each other is going to help take care of that problem because we're not going to allow one another to stay to stay shallow. We're not going to allow it. We're going to push each other to grow and become more, and we're going to push each other to reach the loss, and, it, and all of it helps helps the rest of it. And I think that, that that really that's the core of why we're effective at anything we're effective at is a love for is a love for all three of those things. That's great. And yeah, this is uh, of all the things, this is the one characteristic that I think brings everything together, and that's this love. If we don't have a genuine love, a deep love for the people that we're working with, a Christ-like love, we're not going to get anywhere with them. People will see past your flaws as a leader. They will see past your imperfections. They will see past you hurting their feelings and making mistakes and screwing up if they know you love them. And if they don't feel that love for you, guys, it's based on respect, leadership, true influence, and, and true leadership is based on the respect and the love that people feel you have for them. And so of everything that brings all this together, you can go a long way just on a deep love. Even if you don't know some of this other stuff, you can help a lot of people, even with this deep love. It is the most important thing of all uh, when it comes to reaching people and having a, an evangelistic ministry. You need to love their soul. Um, in a class this this long, there is only so much we can cover. Uh, this is a little snippet of uh, what was the fruit of six years of study, of intensive study. Uh, and I wanted to turn you on to a resource. Um, can you put up that last slide? Um, there's a lot more uh, that could be said. For the first time, I'm, I'm actually sitting down and writing this stuff down. Um, and I'm putting it on westwoodell.com. Um, which is my name. It's easy to remember. Um, but you can go to this website and subscribe. And what I'm doing is I'm sitting, setting, uh, this stuff down to type. And then these email su subscriptions are going out. And this stuff, I, I've, I think I've written through four of the characteristics so far. This stuff is getting shared around the country. I'm getting emails from people even outside of the United States that are finding this stuff worthwhile because what we're finding is while this study was initially done on campus ministry, these characteristics that are we're digging out of this apply to the entire church. So if this is something that's interesting to you, uh, please pull out your smartphone Pull up this website. It's going to ask you for your email. Just type it in there and subscribe, and uh, you'll get the rest of this content and more. Uh, because in addition to characteristics of leaders, we've also got characteristics of communities that we're going to be discussing. Uh, we've got healing in Manasseh Ministries and helping people get over deep issues that we're going to be discussing. And we're kind of using this as a place to pool resources uh, and then push those out and get them in people's hands. Because, guys, we want to see as many people as possible come to know the Lord. That's what this is all about. Uh, we want to be the best ministers we can. Um, and so we can do a lot more together. Uh, and so, you know, please join us in that effort. That's all the time we have. Uh, we're going to release you to the wild of the Tulsa workshop. Have a great rest of the day. And if you want to come talk to me and Carrie, we'll hang out up here for a second.